Right, so uh, my name's Oliver and this is Deep Cuts, a channel dedicated to music for lovers of music. Today, uh, this is the second Deep Cuts podcast. I'm joined by a music journalist who writes for online publications such as Pop Matters and the line of Best Fit. He's the author of the forthcoming book Appetite for Definition, an encyclopedia of rock music genres scheduled for publication in 2018. Ian F. King, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Oliver? Yeah, not too bad at all. How, how's it your end? Is it, is it sunny? Is it grim? What's it like? It is uh, going to be pretty sunny. If I'm looking out, looking out my windows, seems like it should be an actually okay day. It's been kind of cold so far uh, this month, but yeah, spring might finally be here. Nice. nice. About, you're doing uh, this in the early. You're doing this at about nine a.m., aren't you? Uh, yeah, it's about ten a.m. in New York. Where Where are you based yeah. again? Uh, the UK. So it's about well, it's three mm-hmm. o'clock right now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Where, uh, whereabouts in the UK? Uh, it's a little town called. Uh, well, it's a little town called Sandwich. Actually, you wouldn't believe it's a tiny little Excellent. place, and it's just. Yeah, I know, isn't it? Just it's just underneath. Um, it's just underneath London, really. So, yeah, it's. Um, yeah, it's a little bit of a strange old place full of old people, but you know, it's all right. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I mean, I wanted to invite you onto the podcast today, Ian, to have a discussion about a number of things, really. You spend a lot of your time writing and talking about music. You've got a publication you're working on. So I thought we'd delve into that, talk about what it's like to represent your musical opinions and put that content out online, really. But first off, how did you get into writing about music? Um, well, I started writing for websites about seven years ago, uh, music websites. I had done some music writing before that. Um, I started writing for a site called Line uh, Journal, which was based in New York. Uh, and from there I wrote for a site called Stereo Subversion. I wrote for a site called Redefine. Uh, Stereo Subversion is... Um, was around until very recently. They're actually rebranding and they're going to relaunch again uh, sometime soon. If oh, really? I'm, uh, yeah, if I'm if I'm uh, correct on that, I hope. Um, and uh, I started writing for Pop Matters in I want to say 2014, and Line of Best Fit since about 2015. Mm. So. And they're both they're both doing. I mean. I suppose the the publications, the online publications for music, have really split off, haven't they? There was a time where Pitchfork was sort of the only the only real big purveyor of the of the music discussion outside of newspapers and print media. And then we had this big split off. And there's now there's loads. There's the Quietus, which is one I look at a lot. Obviously, Pop Matters, the line of best fit. Um, Drowned in Sounds, a UK one that's still that's still going. It's been going for a while. Um, uh, so it's good. It's good to see that there's there's a lot of diversity in in writing about music still in the age of the internet. I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's um, you know one thing about the internet is anybody can get on and do it. And so I think yeah yeah I think when did Pitchfork start? I want to say ninety five or ninety six. So they were mm. they were definitely they were definitely one of the first. And and that longevity has has been good to them. Um, mm. But it, but it's great to see how many uh, other sites have come up. It's it's yeah. There there were a lot of papers back in the day, but I, I, I don't know how many papers back then versus how many websites there are now. But I'm willing to guess that there are many more websites than than papers, and and it's it's nice to have so many voices for sure. Yeah. It, it, it means it means that no one critic can uh, make or break a band, which is a good thing. I definitely even though agree. Some people do, yeah, even though some people do think Pitchfork can make or break bands, and maybe that's true, but... Yeah, um, I think, you know, I think Pitchfork, they obviously do have a lot of, they have a lot of value, don't they, in the scene, and people do take yeah, their... Absolutely. I mean, I, I did a listening party this morning, actually, for the new Gorillaz record, and mm-hmm. um, 
it was definitely a mixed response, but um, the Pitchfork review came in at the same time that we were talking, and it was a 6.9, and straight away people, not, not that many people that were on the chat were going, okay, well, in that case, I changed my, I changed my opinion, but you can tell that the, the, the discussions and the, the ratings they give things really do carry weight to music fans, whether, whether you want it to or not, I think. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, they really, uh, they they've really got the, um, you know, with that that point decimal system. They've really, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the percentages matter. If it's not a, a seven point five or better, then it then it must be horrible, right? Oh, exactly, exactly. And it's it's a shame that people get so it's a shame people get so tied up with a specific rating for. And I think people forget you see pitchfork and all you see is that is the circle and the and the arrows, but you forget that there's a number of writers. There's so many people that write for pitchfork now. That's not necessarily just because one pitchfork writer gives something a six point nine doesn't mean the the whole company also agrees with that rating. You know, it's I think it, if people forget that it's it's a bit more faceless. I think when people get used to people like Anthony Fantano online, you know, the needle drop talking about music and it's very personal you get to you get to know the reviewer it's less like that with something like pitchfork because there's such a conglomerate of writers and opinions that's why people get just get so sucked up in that in that rating don't they yeah well, i mean it's been like that for you know for for ages you know you always kind of associate pe people don't say oh so and so and and melody maker in the 90s gave me a bad review it was oh the melody maker gave me a bad review or oh sounds gave me a bad review or mm. you know you know which um uh, you know, it's nice as from a writer. Maybe it takes a little less responsibility off yourself. <laughs> for uh, you know, the, the whole paper has to kind of stand behind you. And and you know, to that degree, I think every site does stand behind their reviewers' uh, ratings. Yeah. But but yeah, yeah, it's you know, it is it is one writer among uh, many writers for a site. It's one writer among many writers for. Uh, you know, multiple sites, um, but you know, th but I think uh, you know, it's uh, music is one of those things where you know opinions are are valid wherever uh, wherever they come from, from fans, from writers, or whatever. And and yeah, I think these writers are. Uh, what what did you say the gorillas got? Six point nine. Yeah, I think it's six point nine. Yeah. See, that doesn't that doesn't sound bad to me. That seems that seems perfectly yeah. fine. I... <laughs> well, you're in the upper you're in the upper half, aren't you? So yeah, I mean, yeah, it's not that bad. I mean. Yeah, I don't. I don't even know what I give the album to be honest, because I don't. I don't tend to do number ratings if I can help it. Um, but yeah, it, it's a yeah, it's a really it's a, the numbers game. I did a video on it fairly recently, actually. It probably had the most vitriolic reaction in the comments section to anything I've done before, because I think people really actually like ratings, because there's some way of, of setting a system, isn't it? And without that, everything, all those words can get. There's so many different reviews for different artists and different bands. It's like how do we somehow, you know put all these together and sort out some sort of hierarchy of what I want to listen to or what I should listen to next and all that. So, yeah, I think ratings definitely have a place, but maybe there's a little bit too much importance put on them rather than actually the interesting, insightful words that a reviewer might be talking or, or writing. Yeah, well, I remember, I, I do remember uh, about 10 years ago, I was talking to a pitchfork writer and I forget exactly what it, what it said, but, but at that point in time, he said that the average view of a of, of you know page view for a pitchfork review was something like four point something seconds. You know, people were just <laughs> they were just clicking on, reading the number, and then and then going on to the next one. And yeah. you know, we we you know we do write these things for a reason. We actually yeah. you know yeah yeah the num I mean the numbers are helpful, but but only to only to some extent. You know, you, the, the the actual thoughts and reaction and 
you know feeling that the record gives you like you know it's it's i you know it's worth reading uh that as well you mm. know numbers can only take you so far and, and i mean numbers mean different things to different people you know there was a recently a bit of a thing on i think it was twitter where uh, the Diet Sig record got, you know, like a five point something. And people mm. thought that that was, people t took that as just like they're trashing the record. But, you know, five is still, you know, I, I, I don't know. A lot of people now view five as like, oh, it must be garbage. But I, I don't think that, I think five is like fair, you know, mm. you know and like, mm. I mean, I, I mean, unless, you know, five, if five, five isn't the bottom, it's the middle. So, I, I, you know, point. but that's just, that, that's kind of an old school. I think back in the day, people were, you know, much more likely to hand out, you know, like a one or two or a three or something, you know, if we're mm. going on a 10 point scale, you know, and, and now there seems to be, you know, kind of everything is falling in this, you know, six to whatever range. And so if it gets below, then, you know, it's, then it's somehow it's not good. But, you know, like back yeah. in the day, like, you know, there, you know, Pitchfork used to hand out like twos and threes and you just, you don't really see it that much anymore. And yeah. I think, you know, so, so then when somebody gets a five, it's like, oh gosh, but yeah, it's not bad. Yeah. I don't think five is bad. <laughs> I'd agree. I mean, if something, get, like you say, if something's halfway up the scale, then in theory it should have some kind of merit. There's no point in having a scale where stuff's, stuff that's not particularly good goes between six and seven and anything above seven is great. Anything below five is not worth listening to because otherwise we may yeah. as well just have a five point scale or just not have a scale at all you know it's um it's funny um yeah it's funny because uh, you know talking about reviews and, and all that sort of thing the first the first time i came across your writing was recently when i, I saw your review of the idols record that was the uh, and great that, that reminds yeah yeah oh it's a great record isn't it i really mm. really like it it's um exciting to see uh, a, a mm. band that are sort of channeling punk in such a in such a sort of mainline way you know it's um it's a really exciting record and that mm. for me and going back to really about ratings and things like that i really enjoyed your writing i didn't really care i can't even remember what you gave the record i think it was i think it might have been an eight i can't remember uh, yeah i think it was an it was eight, an eight yeah. yeah but but that wasn't yeah. what i took away from the from the review what i took away was the things you were talking about which is what you would like i'm sure every reader to do I think that's what we all hope that everyone comes with. Yeah, like the actual, yeah, the yeah. actual excite, the actual excitement that that you know, record like that. Mm. You know, and however you're listening to it, you could be out, you know, out at a bar or something. You could be in your house, your in your bedroom or something. It'll still like, you know, a record like that gives you such a such a buzz that that's that's what you want to communicate. I don't think. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. and it 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 takes a certain amount of you know thoughts and words to 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 try and get that across to people. So. Yeah, you can't convey that excitement in a number, even if the number's 10, and then that, that wouldn't yeah. make any sense with it. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, rarely ever give anything a 10. Um, yeah, it's funny. I mean, not that I want to bang on about Pitchfork because it gets boring after a very short amount of time, but um, I think one thing with review style and writing style, that's something that's really... You've see, I've seen a split over the last few years, and I'm sure you've noticed it, but Pitchfork, ever since they've really... I guess ever since they've been bought out by Condé Nast, but a few years prior to that as well, their reviews are very much think pieces, not mm. very, not particularly traditional review writing. And uh, for me, as a, as a, someone who li who reads reviews all the time and reads think pieces on music and reviews, I find that that type of think piece that's very very personal and doesn't talk much about the music it doesn't particularly do much for me. I think it works in certain settings, but it doesn't work in others. And what I like about like the reviews I've read of yours is that there is an element of personal of personalness to it but at the same time you're talking about the music and you're discussing it I think in terms that people will be able to understand I mean is that a conscious decision in your writing style 
you know actually it is um you know and it's and it's really i i definitely understand where a lot of the gang personal comes from especially when you know if i'm reviewing like a reissue or something from mm. the 80s or the mm. 80s or 90s where it's so tied in to you know like my younger years when all yeah. this stuff is all this stuff is very very personal and you don't have subjective distance um you know, so hearing these records again as a reissue or something, you know, it, it brings up all this stuff and you want to tell yeah. people, I was, I was doing this when I first heard the record. Um, <laughs> but I'm not, I'm overall, I'm not a big fan of the I voice. Um, I don't, I, you know, you want to, you want it to relate to people. You want, you want people to see themselves in the record, not, you know, you in the record, or at least that's how, yeah. that's how I approach it. And, you know, every, everyone, everyone is, you know, I voice, I'm not criticizing anybody else for using I voice. I'm not criticizing anybody else for inserting themselves into these, you know, like music is personal. If your reaction is personal and you want to be personal, that's the thing. But I just, I find when I'm reading other people's reviews, I'm less interested in the I voice. And so I do, mm. I do try and keep that, um, you know, my narration, uh, you know, out of it, you know, and it's, it's, you know, it's easier with, with, you know, newer music, um, to, to especially yeah. keep out of it. Um, but, but it, it, yeah, it can be difficult. You know, you want to be like, I was doing this when I listened to the record and it made me feel this way, but you know, you want to kind of talk to, talk to the aspects of how, how you think this will speak to everyone, not just yeah. you. Cause it's great if you like it, but it's, you know, you should tell other people why they like it or why they should like it. Definitely, and you're right. You're right about saying that. It's such a fine line because you, I, I wouldn't want to read a review where it's like the drums do this, the bass do this, the guitar does this, because that's you know, that, <laughs> it's very boring. You don't want to hear ten tracks of that, do you? But but then you, so you want to bring some something, some kind of emotion into it. But as you say, when it's over overly personal, or it becomes some sort of impenetrable think piece that doesn't actually ever discuss the album and you get to the end of the, of the, of the, of the piece and you think, I'm not really sure whether this person liked this music or not, which is, let's be honest, the, the point of a review in the first place. Um, I think it becomes a, 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 an interesting thing. But I like what you're saying about, um, about reissues because I think, like you say, that they come with so much baggage anyway that I don't mind if, if, a, if a reviewer does something more personal with, with that because we've probably read a million reviews of, a, of a, an important reissue anyway, haven't we? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's interesting what you say about the reviews where they say the guitar does this, the bass does this. That's that's another thing that's really a modern issue uh, for mm. music writing is uh, music writers no longer need to do that because <laughs> you can you can immediately go on if you haven't already you know uh, stolen the record online or whatever <laughs> or tor torrented it or whatever. Um, it's it's already up and posted. You know, you're you're hearing it. You know, and a lot of times these reviewers don't get it even that much farther in advance than, than it's available to the public. But, you know, by the time the review is out, you can, you can listen to this stuff yourself. You don't need, you know, back in the day, if you're, you're picking up a paper at the newsstand, uh, buying, the only way you're going to hear this record is if you go, you know, go to a shop and pay 15, 20 bucks or whatever for it, then you kind of do need somebody to tell you this is the, you know, the bass and the drums and the guitar are all doing the X, mm. Y, and Z. But you don't need to describe music in that way more. I mean, it can it can help to a degree, and it's certainly part of it. But you know, to to some extent, you don't have to say this song does this, this song does that, because yeah. the person can immediately go on and see you know see what you're saying. So you kind of do have to find other things to talk about mm. the record. You know, con you know context and things like that. Yeah, yeah, it's a really good point, and it's some uh, well, I mean, I've been doing the channel for sort of ten months now, and 
I occasionally get comments of like, why are people wasting their time watching this? Just go and listen to the music. And obviously, I want them to I want them to watch my videos. Don't get me wrong, but it does communicate that same idea. It's like, well, you know, you could definitely listen to some of the things I'm saying. But you can immediately go and listen to it yourself as well. And I, I really, I hope that people do that because that makes for a more immersive experience anyway. It, what might what you can can see as a weakness in music writing, you could also see as a strength because, like you say, it, it brings out it brings out other ways and other forms of talking about music, without having to go. You know, the baseline does this, and but some sometimes it can become a bit of an an adjective attack, can't it? Because you've got to try and come up with interesting ways of saying the same the same thing about a certain piece of music, and it, it can be quite difficult. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, I believe that uh, you know, I don't believe uh, it, that it is a waste of time to uh, no, exactly, to talk right, about this no. stuff. So I'm, I'm I'm definitely in the camp that does you know doesn't believe you know just go listen listen to music. I think the conversation around it is important. I think the conversation mm. around it enhances it. Um, I don't you know without a conversation, how are we going to introduce each other to these to these bands that we love or these records that we love? So. You know, I, th I think it's and it's and it's it's a very human thing to want to talk about anything. I mean, what what yeah. I mean the the inter the internet does this for everything. You know, there's yeah. it's all conversation around. You know, why why talk about sport? You know, yeah. like you you should just watch. Sport. You just know, there's nothing it, yeah. to. Yeah, but there I I don't know how it is in in the UK, but in the US there are like multiple channels mm. with just people talking and guessing and speculating about sports all day long. And yes, yeah, twenty four seven, like, well, isn't it? Yeah, and so it's like, well, yeah. yeah, but what's but at the end of the day, what's the point? You know, the the point is the score at the end. But it's like, no, it's fun. It's fun to have a conversation. <laughs> you know, what? I'm going to take that next time someone writes a comment on one of my videos, going, "Why are you watching this person talk about music?" I'm going to say, I'm going to say that, and say, "Well, why why do you ever watch someone talk about anything? Why do you ever have a conversation? <laughs> why don't you just be like a monk who sits in yeah. silence and just experiences things?" That's funny, isn't it? It's um, and yeah, and I think it. For me, being a music fan, one of the most exciting things about being a music fan is being able to discuss music and discover it with other people, isn't it? That's that's one of the mm. most enjoyable things about about being a music fan, I think. Yeah, well, and I mean, the reason I got into this in the first place is you know other people doing it. You know, when I was you know thirteen or fourteen, that's when I really started getting into getting into music magazines and music writing yeah. and that that stuff. Uh, you know, it had a really large impact on me, and I, you know, just as much as I love taking, you know, buying the records and taking them home and listening to them, I spent hours reading, uh, you know, pretty much any music magazine I can get my hands on, and you know, it was a, it, it's, it all was very vital and very, you know, uh, significant and, and, mm. and important to me. You know, I mean, it's yeah, when you're when you're that age and you're looking for stuff to to latch on to and and you know you're looking for culture and you're you know this these are things that really give you a lot of meaning uh in your in your day-to-day -day experience and maybe as you get older for some people music just becomes like entertainment or something else mm. but you know a lot, yeah so there's i i would have hoped that even though a lot of you know, the kids are doing it online as opposed to the magazines that I was that I was reading, like I do hope that this stuff does mean something to to these people as you know, to the young the young yeah. younger people as well. And I think it does. I think well, I think it's proof of the fact we talked earlier about the splitting off of of all these different music online publications and the popularity and I think that shows that there is still a wide readership for it and there's a real craving for good criticism that will introduce people to new kinds of music and help them decide what they want to spend their time listening to. And I don't think that'll ever go away. I don't honestly think that will. I certainly hope it doesn't for 
for yeah. mine and your sake. <laughs> yeah, <okay. laughs> so uh, obviously the, the two main publications that you're doing writing for with reviews and stuff is Pop Matters and the line of Best Fit. Do you end up, do you find that you end up changing your review style and adapting it for different publications or is it very much um, the same kind of writing style for both? Um, I suppose when I write for uh, Best Fit, I try and keep in mind that you know, I, I mean, both they have audiences on both sides, but you know, one's a US mm. site, one's a UK site. Mm. Um, yeah, so honestly, little things like if I'm using like slang or or you know, trying not to over-explain things that you know, some things might require a bit of explanation for a US audience with a UK band. Mm. But you know, if I'm writing about a UK band for you, obviously these are things I don't need to explain. Yeah, they yeah. probably yeah, yeah, yeah. There's 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 yeah, there's yeah, the, these things. So trying to keep that in mind. Um, but aside from that, not really so much. Um, you know, I think the the fan experience is pretty much the same on each side. And I think, at least with a lot of the music that I end up talking about, I think that it doesn't need to be talked about in any different way uh, from yeah. one side or the other. Um, I think I think the reasons that idols would have you know, just to go back to that example, mm. would appeal would appeal to, to to UK fans is pretty much the same reason as they would appeal to to US fans. I don't think they need a different context or background. Mm. Well, maybe, maybe in the US you might need to give a bit more background that you know people in the UK might already understand. But aside from yeah. that, no, not I, not. I so think the much. word I think the word Brexit is pretty uh, global at this point, isn't it? I think everyone understood I, some of the points they were making on that record. <laughs> yeah, 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 we, yeah. We know, we know, we know a bit about the Brexit over yeah. here. So <laughs> the Brexit, the dreaded Brexit. At least, at, le at least the word. We know the word, if not, you know, the deeper implications of it. Yeah, I mean, we've got Brexit. You've got Trump. I mean. You know, it, it is what it is. We're both going through this together. We're <laughs> exactly, we are. We are exactly. <laughs> so, what I really want to do next, Ian, is um, is delve into the book you're writing. Because honestly, for me, one of my favourite ways of exploring the phenomenon of music, aside from you know actually listening to music, is through writers. You know, reading books and around the subject can be a really good way of of understanding music more. Um, aside from you know just listening to the music or just reading reviews. Um, your book is called Appetite for Definition, an encyclopedia of rock music genres. So tell us about that. Um, well, the idea came to me about, I want to say, two or so years ago. Um, yeah, I was looking around for things to write. I'd had some other book ideas I'd been kicking around for a while uh, that hadn't panned out. And, you know, a lot, there's a lot left to write about music, but a lot has been written about music. And just through, through, looking up, I, I, I realized that nobody had ever uh, written a book that organized the history of music through, specifically through the lens of rock genres, and I was uh, pretty surpri surprised, but not entirely surprised by that. Yeah, um, that's amazing, really, isn't it? You'd think, you think that's such a, I mean, it's categorization, such a thing we want as music fans, you think someone would have taken the time to talk about that in, in book form. Yeah, well, there are a lot. I mean, there are plenty of encyclopedias out there. Um, you know, rock mm. music and pop music encyclopedias of, of different kinds. You know, there's like the Rolling Stone guides. There's, you know, any 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 number of them. And so I assumed within that whole subcategory of books that this that this would have already existed, but it it hadn't. And so I thought, well, you know, 
Uh, and and I understand why not. It's a kind of you know it can be a contentious issue. Um, you know, rock, rock genres are you know not everyone's favorite thing. Uh, you know, in terms of like you know, a lot of people don't like to categorize rock music, and the, yeah. but then but then a lot of people do. And and whether or not you know that's kind of you know it it, it happens. It happens one way or the other. And and so and yeah and, and aside from just realizing that nobody had done the book uh you know genres to me uh have always been really interesting um mm. i think especially and you know going back to talking about being a being a younger music fan you know these these kinds of categories do mean a lot to people and they meant a lot to me back when i was a kid you know like going through you know, they, they, you know they could be like a phase or they could be genres that stay with you but you're like oh i'm uh, this fan now or oh i'm that fan you know i'm a fan of this now it, <laughs> you know it it it, it go it, it really can as a music fan genre can really become a part of your identity i mean just look at yeah. you know just look at punk music this is a this is like an entire mm. culture you know that you know and, and and punk goes beyond music as well but you know the, the music is a part of you know it's a part of it and it becomes this whole lifestyle thing um, and to yeah. and to a lesser extent, uh, you know, people and people still do. I you know uh, align themselves with 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 genres and things like that. And so, um, but especially you know, having gone through multiple phases where you know I was into Britpop and then I was into emo and then I was into post rock and these you know yeah. and, then, and then you come to you come to find out later that the artists who, who made music that gets categorized these genres, they may not be the biggest fans of these terms. <laughs> yeah. But you know, but but in talking to them, you know, from a fan perspective, I'm like, well, I I actually my personal experience with it was that I, I actually liked these terms. I actually liked these categorizations. Yeah. I liked identifying as a post rock fan. You know, I was really you know, I felt that other kinds of rock music around that time maybe were, or just pop mu the pop music landscape in the in the late '90s, early aughts in general was maybe not speaking mm. was not speaking to me uh, as much personally. But there was post rock, you know, what you know, post rock, you know, like bands like Mogwai, Mogwai, mm. Explosions in the Sky, uh, you know, like that, and and they really were speaking to me, and I thought that they were really doing something important and revolutionary. And it didn't have to be called post rock. You know, whatever you wanted to call what mm. they were doing, it, what, you know, that's what was important to me. You could have called it whatever, um, but you know, but it was for whatever reason through the course of conversation. Um, you know, whoever you want to credit with for inventing the term, all all these term inventions are kind of messy affairs when you try and trace the actual root yeah. of the word. Um, you know, I think post-rock gets traced back to Simon Reynolds, as do other genres. Um, but then also, you know, but even he's sort of like, you know, maybe it came from before that. Um, yeah. wh whatever you want to call it, this music was important. And so I have I have nothing but positive connotations with the term post-rock. That is not necessarily the case with the bands. <laughs> a, lot, a, lot of them, a no. lot of them just, you know, don't like it at all. And and that and that's totally fair. But I, you know, I wanted to talk about these things because I, you know, there are people out there who do and who do enjoy these distinctions. And and mm. and, and 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 then there are people who aren't. But it's all. But it's not about assigning things as much as about the conversation around it. Yeah, you know, that that's what I find the most interesting is Yeah. You know, kind of that what we talk about when we talk about blank, not necessarily what is blank. Um, even though that's you know, to some extent that's what 
the book is going to do too. You know, when when we talk about mm. what are we talking about? Well, post rock is blah 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 blah. But you know, here's here's everything else yeah. around it. Yeah, I think and that I've I've come across. I'm sure you have as well. Lots of different music fans that will take it different ways. Where some people will use it to increase the conversation. So if you if you someone says, "Well, kind of rock music do you like?" and you say post rock, well, you can start start talking about Tortoise and Slint and bands like that, and they'll understand you know what sort of music you're talking about. Whereas uh, if you just say rock, you know that's pretty wide, isn't it? You could be talking about any kind of music from the '60s onwards. Um, and but then there's the other type of fan that that are milit- militaristically categorizing things which i find really funny sometimes you can get in proper arguments with people because they'll disagree with the label that you've given a certain type of music uh, mm-hmm. and i think sometimes people yeah people uh, don't use don't use the labels as a conversation they just use it as a right we'll put that in that box or we'll put that in that box and and that's it let's move on and they're that they're the they're the type of people that i end up having arguments with about about different genre labels and things like that but like, as you say they're such an important thing to our conversation and a way of uh, yeah, a way of just uh, creating a bit more of an interesting conversation because you can start to understand where different, where a band maybe they sound like post rock, but they have jazz influence and these other things. And if you can't talk about genres in some sort of vague term, then how are you supposed to discuss them at all? You know? Right. Well, I mean, I think you know, pretty much any you go onto any music site that has um, yeah, you know, like little yeah, you know, like a like a site like Stereo Gum in the U.S. or something, for instance. Yeah. And yeah, you know, and then there yeah, you know, there are so many posts throughout the day, and they're talking about so many different kinds of artists and music that you know every single one of them kind of starts blank band so and so. You know, it's and and they find yeah you know, within that little three word uh, phrase they find creative ways to say it. But there's always some kind of genre like affiliation there. Like you like you almost kind of you're like obligated to sort of address you know a little bit about like the genre whether you know like oh art art punksters this or yeah. or or that you know like it it, it it can be whatever it could be off the top of your head but that's you know it's still it's still in there you know like it still is in mm. the day to day even if you want to say it's all rock and roll which is a, a perfectly reasonable stance it's perfectly reasonable <laughs> to say it's all it's all rock and roll it is just it is a little hard yeah if you want to talk about oh it's rock and roll oh well you know oh like you know, like folk rock and heavy metal. Well, it's all rock. You know, these are both, you know, Ryan Adams and you know Mayhem. Well, it's they're both rock yeah. and roll. What are you gonna do? You know, well, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, that that's when the that's that's when it becomes a little less helpful to just say it's all rock and roll. <laughs> like you wanna you wanna have a conversation about it. What's it you know What's it like? It's you know it it, it can be it is more complicated than that. And so that's where they become useful. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, I mean, how how deep are you going with your with your genres in the book? Are you going to some of those really tiny niche genres? I I can't really think of any off the top of my head because a lot of them are a lot of the genres you end up talking about now end up being hybrids, don't they? Because you've got bands that sound like a post rock band, but they also sound like they've also got elements of math rock in them, or you've got math core. So you de- do you be delving into some of those smaller genres as well? Uh, Yes, absolutely. Um, that's that's kind of the fun of it is to mm. is to get into like the real deep and yeah and 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 it there genres in the book can be I'm I'm being pretty open with the whole thing. Um, it can yeah. be you know there's only so many legitimate widely recognized you know completely <laughs> you know and then you know you get you get these you know, you, you basically get three there are basically three kinds of genres and and the book will include them all like essentially there there are ones that are actually you know very legitimate steeped in history 
are completely you know legitimately definable and argue there's then there's a lot of then there are the ones that are kind of purely uh media invention uh, yeah. you know like especially the, the 80s and 90s um and especially uh in the uk but also in the us that was like this golden era for journalists to just invent music genres just to sell <laughs> papers um you know, shoegaze, anyone? <laughs> well, you know, yeah. Well, shoegaze is a really funny example because yeah, it started like that, but it is such a you know if there if there's any one like redemption story for 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 rock genres that that the 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 shoegaze story is kind of amazing. You know, like yeah, it was the term itself, you know, not beloved by the bands. Mm. You know, pretty much you know a, a mean, somewhat you know, a little bit mean. You know, kind of a pejorative term. Um, yeah. You know, mu- mu- the music kind of uh, unjustly lived and then, you know, di- you know not died, but, you know, it, li- it rose and fell at, at kind of at, yeah. the, at the behest of music writing at the day. But then it had this really, really long afterlife where, you know, it, it, it took a while, but then it finally made its way over to the U.S. Uh, you know, there are early bands like Lilies and some others that were coming out, like, kind of right at the, mm. around the early 90s when it was starting to lose steam in the U.K. And then, and then it really took off from there. there. And there were scenes all over the U.S. in the, in the late 90s and early aughts where, you know, little indie shoegazing scene, you know, like uh, where I'm from in Seattle in the Northwest, there's, uh, you know, bands like the High Violets and Voyager 1, uh, you know, there were yep. there were scenes in New York. There were scenes there were scenes everywhere in the U.S. And you know, people continued to find these records and dig them. You know, all, and or, you know, the the UK bands especially and these you know these things. They all you know it it just it stayed alive. And now we're you know now we're at a point. Uh, you know, I'm going to go see Slow Dive in in a couple weeks here at a venue that. Oh hold, man, yeah. Yeah, I mean at a venue that holds 1,800 people. You know, I saw I saw Ride uh, two years ago play Terminal Five here. That 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 holds like 3,000 people. Yeah, it's then the you know Ride yeah. are coming back as well. Yeah, you know, all you know I saw Lush last year. It's it's amazing yeah. what what's you know how how it's come back and and shoegazing now uh, people have nothing but positive connotations with with the term nah. shoegazing like people people love it fans you know shoe you know in, including myself so so that that's that's it's such a you know, a great redemption story for for a genre that was supposed to be left you know dead on the side of the road or whatever back in ninety yeah supposed to yeah back in ninety five exactly. or whatever yeah. Yeah, like you say, it was supposed to be a pejorative term, and yet it, it, in those two words, shooing gaze, it perfectly captures the sound of that swirling atmosphere that those bands were going for. And now it gets used so much, you know, there, there's bands that would be called, I guess, new gaze, you know, N-U-G-A-Z-E, which is a term I've seen a lot online in the yeah. last few years. And ba- bands like... Um, Oh, um, Pink Shiny Ultra Blast and Have a Nice Life. And they're the sort of bands that are definitely utilizing some of that shoegaze sound. And I don't think you could explain that sort of sound in any other way. So it's nice how abstract it is. It doesn't have to be based on the, like post-rock, you know, is based on the word rock. And you could probably argue to the hilt whether that that title really fits the sound of post, post-rock post artists in inverted commas. But I do think, yeah, I think that, like you say, the term shoegaze is just such a great term. And as you say, it's a great example of, um, of journalism and uh, and sort of response from fans really bringing us bringing a genre through and getting it to breathe life again and yeah like you say it's really po- like people love shoegaze now I speak to people all the time and there's a guy the guy that I speak to on Twitter quite a lot who follows the channel and he was on the listening party this morning and uh, he he 
pretty much says he only listens to shoegaze. You know, he's like yeah. the only kind of music that he ever listens to. So it's it's great. And like you know, I'm seeing I'm seeing slow dive in a few weeks as well, and it's um nice. it's really nice to see these bands get the love they deserve. You know, absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, and, yeah. And, and actually going like going back a bit to what you were saying about artists not liking um, not liking different genre labels. I think that's quite a common thing, isn't it? I remember when I was. Uh, doing a lot of research into Don Cab, and they they hate the math rock label. Mm-hmm. But I mean, mm-hmm. I don't don't know how else you could describe their music. Really, uh, you could say experimental, but it's that's so vague. Uh, how does that help us define it in any kind of way? Right, right. Well, yeah. I mean, the, yeah. Any kind of tag like experimental or art, art this or art that or avant this or avant. That. Yeah, um, yeah. If you don't get more specific, it's it it. it it's then it's open then what is you know anything is experimental like all all music is art um you know yeah people yeah don cab i've 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 heard that uh yeah that guy doesn't like the term at all Um, he's not a fan yeah no yeah no not a fan um well you know and that's i mean that's the thing in in my uh whatever you want to say research experience there seems to be only a few genres where both you know artists and fans really embrace uh, the term, you know, punk obviously, uh, heavy mm-hmm. metal, uh, rockabilly, and a- and after that, yeah, you don't, uh, you know, there are varying degrees of acceptance. You know, for for some reason, yeah, you know, heavy heavy metal fans love it, they embrace the term, it's totally part of their identity. The art the artists themselves love being heavy metal yeah. bands it's, it's a whole culture and you know and same thing with punk mm. and you know and rockabilly as well the rockabilly is kind of a term where it was applied after the fact you know they didn't back in the 50s yeah. it wasn't called rockabilly specifically but it but it's something that has such a lot you know like heavy metal and like punk at this point has such a long tradition um mm. you know that the band you know the, the artists identified uh with rockabilly you know they really like the connection it's it's it is part of their their thing but um yeah but then I, I guess it would be the more experimental genres like post-rock math math rock yeah that's people people not, yeah. not a huge fan of the term math rock although speaking of micro genres there there was a band from the northwest in the late 90s called botch that were kind of a hardcore metal whatever you want to call it. uh the guys in the band actually i'm uh, for, forgetting who exactly named it but they they called themselves evil math rock um so, right. <laughs> so, so speak, speaking of micro genres, um, that's that's one one band was Evil Math Rock, and that was Botch, uh, which has always long been one of my favorite micro of the micro genres. Excellent. I'll have to check. That. Not one I've come across, so I'm gonna have to check it out. I definitely fancy spending my Friday afternoon listening to some Evil Math Rock. I wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be averse to that at all. <laughs> yeah, Bot- Botch were phenomenal. Yeah, they were a phenomenal band. I'll go one further with you then. So micro genres, going outside of rock music now, what about uh, internet generated genres? I'm talking Vaporwave, Witch House. How, what are your thoughts on some of those? Because I get asked all the time what my opinions are on them. And I honestly, I flip flop around to be honest. So I'd love to hear what you, what you think about them. Yeah, those are those are part of it too. That's kind of that's kind of the third tier of of genres. You know, there's you know the the historically rooted ones, the completely journalistic conventions, and then these kind of you get you'll get them more now. They're they're kind of like just like the 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 outcomes of long conver- you know conversation you know through passed down through you know we come mm. to these terms conversationally with each other and then sort of like over time they become this thing and the internet 
has definitely sped up that process to where these these things don't take years to to come around through casual conversation anymore the casual yeah. conversations happen very quickly and therefore yeah one day vaporwave turns up and you're like well yeah wow that wasn't here yesterday what, what's what's vaporwave um yeah. But those are but but those are completely I, I think those those have a have definitely have a place too. I mean a lot of those are you know they they are they're kind of on the internet they're half journalistic half fan inventions. You know, like yeah. jur- journalists might toss out a term um, but it takes the it takes the readers and the the fans to actually run with it. Um, they're not always yeah. they're not always successful. Um, uh, but yeah, if the fan, but if fans run with it and it becomes an actual thing, you know, then then you can't really, you know, public opinion, you know, public opinion, public decision, and then then it's a, <laughs> yeah. then then it's a genre, you know, then then you have to, you know, you have to kind of acknowledge, well, whatever vaporwave is, people are people are talking about it. Can can it be defined? Is it, you know, is it something legit? But uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, I'm I'm okay with it. Uh, yeah, one of my favorites in those is um, a night bus. Uh, I'm not sure if it's it might just be this guy CFCF from from Canada. Uh, it's just it's just music that sounds good when you're you know riding the bus at night. Like that's like that's <laughs> th- that that's oh, what it that's is. Great. And I think I think that's it, it. Might be just him. There might be other night bus artists out there. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, <laughs> that is something I'm definitely going to try and explore. That's fantastic. Let's try and get that going. Let's see yeah. if we can push night bus as a genre. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Because yeah. I think it's interesting as well. Like you say, like that's not based that like, that idea of a micro genre is not based specifically on the sound of the music, other than an atmosphere. Whereas things that spit like micro genres like sea punk and again witch house, there's an aesthetic to it, and it's more aesthetic. It's less to do with the music because you could easily define the music of sea punk and witch house and vaporwave in a way actually to other 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 genres of music but it it defines this kind of weird aesthetic around the music as well and that's what i find so fascinating about it actually yeah yeah and you're yeah you're getting that a lot with um yeah like electronic music genres these days especially um yeah one yeah one thing i have noticed is that genres within rock music specifically are, are kind of actually slowing down a little bit which is another reason why i thought it might be a good time to kind of pause and take you know take stock of the past you know 60 years of rock genres because yeah. I, you know i want to i'm sure other things have been tossed out there but i want to say you know like chill wave was kind of like the last you know rock you know the last of the new rock genres that really kind of took mm. hold and it was kind of you know it's kind of a rock kind of electronic hybrid people kind of used it for to refer to both kinds of artists but there were still some rock yeah. bands that it got applied to at least early on like I don't think they've been referred to it recently, but that band, you know, like real estate, they were, you know, the word chill wave was associated with them back in the day just because they're chilled out. Um, you know, their music's chilled yeah. out. And so they're there for chill wave. Um, and that was, you know, that was around like, the, you know, like 2010, I want to say it was probably like peak chill wave year, maybe 2009, actually. Mm. Um, maybe it had already crested by 2010, but there aren't really, <laughs> there aren't really so many of these now, whereas like electronic, electronic genres and, and hip hop genres, uh, those have really exponentially blew up. That That's kind of where the action seems to be now in terms of naming and coming up with new yeah. genres. That's, <laughs> so yeah, that, that's very, that's very much a work in progress there. Yeah, it's exciting to see what's going to happen with some of these, some of these ideas over the next, 
over the next 10 years. And we'd say with hip hop, it's getting so much more experimental, but that experimentalism is becoming a lot more popular. Because if you look at back in, well, if you look at back in sort of early 2010, band, uh, like artists like Shabazz Palaces were doing the experimental hip hop thing and taking it to quite um, aggressive places or new places. And then, but then you've obviously got Death Grips who have taken that and it, they've become like the internet darlings, really, haven't they? I mean, mm-hmm. I'd never have thought sort of 10, 15 years ago that a band like Death Grips would have such a following as they do. And I don't even, I mean, how would you go on? Try, try and um, give Death Grips a generic marker. I'm not going <laughs> to try that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas, yeah, whereas, like, they're they're they're. I think the thing in in, in rock now is, and you were, you were talking about like hybrid stuff. I think that's mm. really what's going on now. Uh, rock bands are they're kind of taking like multiple exist, you know, kind of like pre-existing genres or pre-existing styles, and kind of melding them together into, into into very interesting and new reconfigurations but it's kind of you can kind of identify it you know like you can identify yeah. this is like they're taking prog rock and they're taking folk music and they're combining those two and making prog folk that's just i'm making that up that's i don't have a specific example for yeah, that yeah. but um yeah that that seems to be what's going on i don't I, i'm not really sure why i have theories but no actual concrete mm-hmm. evidence um but yeah so that's it's not as well. I, I, I wonder if uh, I know it sounds it sounds cynical, and I'm sort of playing devil's advocate. But the point we're at is it only possible for us to take ideas from different genres, and is that possible for us to create a, an entirely new genre of music that doesn't base itself in some other genre that we've already we've already discovered without it being some kind of abrasive alien music that we've never sort of heard before? Because even if something came along that was like really aggressive and really unusual. I think people would probably call it experimental. You know, I, I don't know how how many more original original genre labels we're going to get in the future. I don't know. It's an interesting idea. Yeah. Well, I mean, everything comes from something. That yeah. No no genre of music mm. dropped out of the sky. Every everything has a root, and you know, rock and roll has its roots in, in blues yeah. and, and and gospel and, and boogie woogie and and five other. Yeah. It's everything has got a number of different roots and. Um, you know, but in terms of, yeah, in terms of something that just, you know, back in the day when, you know, like you take a genre like shoegaze, it just, it within the rock milieu, it had its precursor, but it just, it sounded kind of like something that needed its own name. Um, yeah. And, and I'm not, aside from hybrid, you know, putting two, two different existing genres together, I, I personally haven't heard... Uh, you know, a, a kind of rock rock music recently that's that's really done that and been like, wow, this is a new, this is so new. Uh, it mm. need, it needs its own identity apart from apart from everyone else. And that and that's not at all a criticism. And I'm not at all. I'm not. You know, I'm not a fan of the is rock dead conversation so much. I kind of think that that's you know that's kind of like that's a once a year think piece, isn't it's it? A once, once a year, year yeah. to get that. Is, is yeah. rock is rock dead this year? Oh, okay, no. Well, no. Try, try again. Try again <laughs> next year. Maybe, maybe it'll be dead then. It's like we're checking. Same we're, bullshit think piece. Yeah, yeah. we're just we're, we're checking in to see if rock and roll is alive once a year. It's not. I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't give too much credence to that. I've seen way too many younger bands play. You know, playing rock music of one kind or another to yeah. to think that it's exactly. going going out of style anytime soon. Whether whether or not it's the most popular form of music. Uh, in the U.S. or U.K., that's I don't I don't know if it has been in twenty some years. That doesn't mean that it's mm. you know doesn't mean that it's not alive just because it's not the biggest selling 
you know, I mean, aside from you too, obviously, but yeah, or what, whoever, whoever yeah. else, the, oh, the, yeah. the, the, the preeminent yeah, rock yeah. bands, yeah. When they're not throwing their albums out for people who don't want them, you know, oh, right, or, or yeah. collaborating with Kendrick Lamar as well, you know, yeah, who, yeah. who knows what they're, yeah, what they're going to do found, next. Yeah, I think but, I found um, that album on my phone the other day, and I was like, why do I have this? I'm like, oh right, they put it on everyone, they put it on <laughs> yeah. everyone's phone like five years ago or whenever that was, two years ago. Yeah. There was like a hack going around, wasn't there, when it first came out to try and get it off your phone because that was how badly people didn't want free music. It must have been awful as an artist to be like, look, how much they hate us. They don't even want our free music. They want to delete it off their phones, you know? Well, I think, yeah, so. I think it really shows the value of, of music and how people just, it, yeah, people expect so much music for free or to not pay for it that you could get a free album on your phone and be like, not interested, get this thing off. You're not, you're not even, yeah, you're, yeah. Not even, you're not even curious. You're like... Yeah. yeah, I'm not even gonna listen to this because I don't want it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, no, I mean, if somebody, it. yeah, if somebody sent me like a, you know, like a vinyl record in the mail and were like, here, listen to this for free, I would, I would be curious enough to listen to it. But you know, people, yeah. people, people get it on their phone and they're like, no, I just want it off. It's a nuisance. It's, it's interesting. Yeah, no, it is interesting. It is interesting. So, in terms of your book, Ian, when are people able to read it? Is there a date for it? Um, or is right, it a vacant moment? Yeah, right now uh, it's currently scheduled to come out in the fall of 2018. Uh, HarperCollins is the U.S. publisher for it. Um, I don't know exactly which month, um, but it'll be fall of 2018. And there currently is not a UK publica- uh, UK publisher, um, but it's still early days, and I would very much like it to come out in, in the UK. So hopefully we'll get that lined up at some point. But it's still it's still in the writing process and. I'm still mm. I'm still cranking it out, so uh, it's not no, not, good luck. not done yet. No, well, good luck with it, and um, I hope you do get a UK publishing. If not, I'll be importing it because I'm I'm very in- excited to read about all these genres and uh, and be able to up my knowledge on it. I think, but uh, thank you so much for for coming on the podcast today. Really enjoyed chatting with you, and um, yeah, good luck with your writing. That was a real pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. No worries. See you soon.